Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. The Apostle Paul was a tremendous evangelist and wrote a large portion of the New Testament explaining the doctrine of the gospel. Many people have gotten saved through wonderful verses that the Holy Spirit led him to write. Verses of conviction and verses of salvation. Today's broadcast looks at three verses in 2 Corinthians that evangelist Stephen Harper uses to present the clear gospel message. These involve the confidence that believers have concerning their salvation, the fear of God that should move sinners to seek for forgiveness, and the wonderful love of Christ, which is the basis of the gospel declaration. We hope that you will listen carefully to these points and respond to the truth that God is trying to bring to you today. Let's look, first of all, please, Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll read, at verse number four to begin. For we that are in this tabernacle, the apostle Paul is speaking about his body just as a temporary structure, a tent, a tabernacle. He says, we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest, or the down payment, the deposit, the guarantee of the Spirit. That's the first of my little phrases this evening. The earnest, or the down payment of the Spirit. We'll think about that again in a moment or two. Now, looking down, please, to verse number 10. The Apostle Paul is now writing about the fact that he is very conscious that his life and his service is going to be scrutinized. And he says in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore, and here's the next little expression, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So we're thinking, first of all, about the earnest, the down payment of the Spirit. And then we're thinking about the terror or the fear of the Lord in verse number 11. Now come with me, please, towards the end of the chapter, I suppose, down a verse or two. Uh, Verse 13, the apostle says, For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For, and here's the third expression, the love of Christ constraineth us or compels us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. So I want to highlight these three little expressions because they do really, as I've said already, they do summarize for us, they crystallize for us, 
a good deal of the truth of this fifth chapter of Second Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, he speaks about the down payment, the earnest of the Spirit. And what he's referring to is the fact that when a person is saved, when a person is born again, when a person trusts the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving him as their own Savior, that person at that moment becomes indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in the heart, in the life of every true believer in the Lord Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of God doesn't belong to God at all. And so the Apostle Paul is going to explain that, amongst a lot of other truths, the fact that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside the heart and the soul in the life of a believer, this is a down payment. This is a deposit. This is a guarantee of something else that God is going to do in the life of that believer. So he speaks about the earnest, the down payment of the Spirit. Then as the apostle lifts his thinking uh, above this world, and as he thinks about the fact that he's going home to heaven, he reminds us of this all-important truth that believers as well as unbelievers, are going to be scrutinized. And he's thinking particularly in this chapter of the service of believers. But we're going to just take the principle and apply it a little bit more widely. He's speaking about the fact that your life and mine is going to be examined in some detail. And as he thinks about that, he says, you know, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing that my life is going to be completely transparent before him and understanding something of the awesomeness of God and his greatness, knowing the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. He says, first of all, the earnest of the Spirit, the down payment of the Spirit, he says, it gives me confidence. It gives me confidence that all that God has promised he's going to do. But, says the Apostle Paul, when I think about the fear of the Lord, he says, that gives me clarity. That helps me to see things from the proper perspective. That helps me to see things as God sees them. And in that way, I'm able to get things in their proper order. I think we would make quite a few adjustments in our lives if we appreciated something of the fear of the Lord. Paul says, the earnest, the down payment of the Spirit gives me confidence. But he says, the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, that gives me clarity. I see things more clearly when I see them from that perspective. But then says the Apostle Paul, if the terror of the Lord, if the fear of the Lord gives me clarity, he says, I'm glad to tell you, it's the love of Christ that compels me. He says, I don't go forward in this ministry that I'm involved in. I don't do it just out of fear. But I'm involved in this great work of the gospel because of the love of Christ. And you might say, Paul, do you mean the love of Christ, the love that was in Christ flowing out to others? Or do you mean the love of Christ that is in you? Paul, I would think, say, well, I mean both of those things. I mean the love that Christ had for me, that shed abroad in my heart, and that I just can't contain. The love of Christ has flooded my soul, and it overflows. He says, the love of Christ compels me to do what I do. Could we keep those three things in mind? 
Could we keep in mind the fact that the Spirit of God, the down payment of the Spirit, means that we can have implicit confidence that God is going to finish the work that he began in every child of God the moment they trusted the Savior. You see, if you knew me, some of you know me a little bit, but I'm glad to tell you, I am glad to tell you that I am a work in progress. And God hasn't finished with me yet. And the fact that God has put the Holy Spirit within me is the absolute guarantee, the confidence that the work that he has begun, he's going to make sure that he finishes it. The Holy Spirit gives me confidence. The Apostle Paul says, the Holy Spirit that has come inside gives me confidence that I'm going to receive a heavenly body. A heavenly body. He says, the body that I'm looking forward to He says, it'll be an eternal body. It'll be free from the limitations of time. It'll be eternal. And he says, not only do I have the absolute confidence of an eternal body, but he says, I have the absolute confidence of an immortal body. It will be free from the limitations of death. A heavenly body. I, and then Paul says, and more than that, He says, that heavenly body is going to have a heavenly home. I'm looking forward to the time, says the Apostle Paul, when I depart from this scene. And he said, for me, to depart from this body and this life will be just to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He said, I'm looking forward to a heavenly body. I'm looking forward to to a heavenly home. I can tell by the smile that's pinned on some faces just now that you're looking forward to a heavenly body and you're looking forward to a heavenly home. But the sad thing is that there are quite a few in this room tonight and you don't have that confidence because you're not saved. If the worst that could possibly happen to me happened to me, Like the Apostle Paul, I'd be absent from the body, present with the Lord. But if the very worst that could possibly happen to you were to happen to you and you're not saved, you know that that's an altogether more fearful reality. You're still perishing in your sins. And if you're not saved, if you've never been born again, if your trust is not in Christ and in Christ alone, You don't have the confidence that the Word of God and the Spirit of God gives to those who belong to Christ because you're still lost. It's a dreadful thing to be in your sins. And sometimes you you speak to people and you ask them, are are you going to heaven? I I think so. I hope so. When did you start on the road to heaven? Well, I, I was born a Christian, you know. Well, the Bible tells us actually that we were all born in sin. No one was born a Christian. No matter where they were born or when they were born or how they, nobody was born a Christian because the Lord Jesus said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, when you're born into this world as a little baby, you're just born with a sinful fleshly nature. And that's why you need to be born again. He said, That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The Bible speaks about two births, 
two deaths. And everybody who only has one birth will experience two deaths. The first death, which is the death of this physical body, and the second death, which is the horror of all horrors, what the Bible calls the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. As if one horror was not enough. One birth, two deaths. But praise God, all who are born twice have the great hope that at most, at most, they will only die once. Because so many of us were looking forward to the great prospect of the Lord Jesus coming to take us home to heaven, to our heavenly home, in our heavenly body, even without passing through physical death. The Bible teaches that glorious hope. But you remember now, this is the important thing, you remember one birth, two deaths. But the indwelling Holy Spirit, the down payment of the Spirit, gives confidence that God will bring us safely home to heaven. Then the apostle speaks about the terror, the fear of the Lord. Nowadays, many people don't believe in God at all. And others, they believe in a God whom they kind of think is a bit like their buddy, you know? And they have very little respect for God at all. But the Bible tells us that God is awesome and that God is to be feared. Now, I've been trying to impress upon everyone that's been listening to the gospel that God is not against you. God is for you. I hope you've got that. God is for you. He's not against you. But the fact that God is for you and not against you does not mean that you can be casual with God. It doesn't mean that he isn't to be feared because he is the great God of eternity and he is awesome. And Paul says, even though I have this great hope, this great confidence that the Holy Spirit within me guarantees that God is going to bring me safely home, a heavenly body, a heavenly home, he said, even though that's true, He said, I'm still very conscious of this awesome fact that the all-seeing eye of God is going to scrutinize my service and everything is going to be open. It's going to be visible to him. Of course, Paul is talking about the fact that he will be held accountable as a servant. But I want to take that principle and remind you that you will be accountable to God as a sinner. Every one of us must give account of himself to God. Are you going to give account of yourself to God as a sinner who has been saved by grace? Are you going to give account of your service to God because you have been redeemed, because you have been saved, because you're claiming the finished work of Christ and his merit alone as your only hope and plea. I need no other argument. I want no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Will you stand before God cleansed of all your sins or will you at the great white throne judgment stand before him? The heavens and the earth having fled away, will you stand before him and give account of yourself as a sinner, unforgiven, uncleansed to a holy and righteous God. Sometimes when I'm preaching in Malawi, 
I'll ask people a very simple question. Simple questions are often the most searching. Tell me this. How many sins will God allow in heaven? How many? You don't really need to think about that too long, do you? The Bible tells us that God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. He cannot look upon sin. There will not be one uncleansed, unforgiven sinner in heaven. So if you're hoping to get to heaven on the basis of what you have done, and you have a catalog of unforgiven and uncleansed sin, you remember that just one of those sins is enough to take you down to eternal damnation. It'll keep you out of heaven. And the principle that I want to bring before you very simply this evening is this. Everyone will appear before him. Everyone will appear before him. Because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, because he has conquered death, you can trust him. Because he's conquered death, you can trust him. Someone who has defeated our greatest enemy is worthy of your trust. But because he has conquered death, you must trust him because you can never flee from the face of one who has himself come out of the grave because the grave, death itself, is no obstacle to him. You must trust him. You must have your sins forgiven because you'll never flee from the all-seeing eye of Christ. Never. Everyone will appear before him. Everything will be assessed by him. Everything. Every word. Every action. Every filthy thought. Every filthy thought will be assessed by him. Everything that was done and shouldn't have been done. Everything that should have been done and wasn't done. Everything will be assessed righteously by him. And everything will be rewarded by him. The wages, the reward of sin is death. Eternal death. Everyone, everything. There's no escaping him. Knowing the terror, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But I want to tell you this evening about the love of Christ because Paul says, it's not the terror of the Lord that compels me, but it's the love of Christ that compels me. The love of Christ because we judge that if he died for all, then we're all dead. We all needed a savior because we were all dead in sin, but Christ died for us all. Listen to this. Paul says, the love of Christ is so great. He died to raise us up. We were dead in sins, but he died to lift us out of death and give us life. He died to raise us up. There's no higher goal than to live for him. He says he died to bring us back. He said you were once far away from God, but he died to bring you back into relationship with him. There is no nearer place. Paul says in this chapter, he died to lead us on because anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old things are passed away and God leads us on unto ever greater things 
All things are of God. They're all new and they're of God. He says he died to lead us on. There's no greater life. Did I say that before? There's nothing to compare with being saved. I wouldn't trade places with you, not for an instant. Not because I'm, not only because I would be afraid of falling into hell, but I wouldn't change places with you for an instant because there'd be no reason to. I've got the best life there is because my life is hid with Christ and God. There's no greater life. No greater life. And then Paul says, he died to shut us in. He says, because we are made the righteousness of God in him. He says, there is no brighter glory than to be in Christ. No brighter glory. And then says the apostle Paul, he died to send us out. Because he says, there's no nobler task than to be an ambassador for Christ. I don't want to talk politics this evening. A very little interest in politics and even less knowledge about politics. But I couldn't help notice, as you have done, that some big political jobs are being filled just to the south of us at the moment right now. But I want to tell you this. It doesn't matter what job you get in the Trump administration or any other administration for that. There's no nobler task than to be an ambassador for the King of Kings. Do you know why? Because tonight, now listen carefully. I stand representing the God of heaven. I stand here on behalf of Christ. And in Christ's name and with his authority, I say, be reconciled to God. Because he made him who knew no sin, the one who never sinned, he made him to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You need Christ tonight. You need Christ. You don't need religion. You don't need a church. You don't need baptism. You don't need even to read and pray, although that's a very good thing to do. But in the final analysis, you need a savior. That savior is Christ. And this evening, the only way to be in relationship with God is through Christ. And as ambassadors for Christ, we implore you, be reconciled to God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, my friend, in the final analysis, you need a Savior. You need to be reconciled to God and fast. There will be no second chance should death overtake you or the Lord returns and you were not ready. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do messages such as these make you uneasy? Are you unsure of your future destiny? Then put it off no more. Be wise. God wants you to be sure of a home in heaven. And this surety can only be yours if you know Christ as your own and personal Savior. Come today to Christ, won't you? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. 
Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor. Once again, I'm in that place once again.